City, a podcast about cities and the people, politics, and pop culture that shape them. I'm your host, Matthew Boyd, and today we're talking with Dr. Cameron Owens, who is an associate professor in the geography department at the University of Victoria. Cam is on the cutting edge of experiential teaching, which means learning in the field, and he runs a sustainability field school that provides a unique study travel program that gets students out of the classroom and into the cities around the world. We chat with Cam about the benefits of programs like this and how they best prepare the students for the real world to become great civic leaders and champions of sustainability. I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's awesome being here. Thanks, Matt. Dr. Owens, really appreciate it. You run a pretty cool field school program Mm -hmm. called the UVic Sustainability Field School Program. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And why don't you tell us about a little bit of background about what is this school all about? What's the story? Sure. Sounds good. Uh, I actually go back to being an undergrad at the University of Calgary and the geography department there had these awesome field school programs where they got students to go overseas and learn about different cultures and environments and I could never afford to go on one so I was really disappointed as a grad student as a master's student I had this fantastic opportunity where I got to be a TA finally on finally go on one of these schools I pinched myself, couldn't believe I was traveling through uh, France, Italy, Greece, and Turkey and getting paid to take students on that. And I, I was able to do a few field schools. And then I think a main reason that I actually got hired uh, to teach at the University of Victoria was I had that background in, in field schools. They wanted to build out their human geography field school program. And so I started the Cascadia Sustainability Field School uh, back in 2012. And then eventually we, we developed a Northern Europe Sustainability Field School and basically got students uh, out of the classroom uh, and onto this month-long travel study program where they'd meet up with planners like yourself and government officials and activists and community leaders, entrepreneurs, and others that were grappling with uh, you know, the, the daunting social and ecological challenges that our, our cities face. Uh, and so we're just about to embark on the seventh edition of the Sustainability Field School going back to, to Northern Europe this summer. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm super jealous of that. I looked at the itinerary before we met today and it it looks like you guys are going to France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, and Denmark. Is that's, that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paris to Copenhagen. Yeah. See, when I was yeah. at the University of Victoria, I don't think there's any field school like that. So I, <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and start again. I think the only field school that, that we ever did is at one time there was a political science class I had in the summer where the professor said the weather was nice. So we all went outside. Oh, yeah. And took the class and <laughs> I, I, got a brutal, start. <laughs> I got a brutal sunburn from that class. So with the field school, what was the, what was the first trip that you guys did? What was the first one? Uh, the first one through the University of Victoria was down the coast. Uh, it, we met up with folks and saw really interesting projects in Vancouver and Seattle, uh, Portland, some other smaller communities in Oregon, and then we ended in San Francisco. We called it the Cascadia Field School. I'm not sure San Francisco is considered part of the Cascadia Pacific Northwest, but it kind of sold you can't the field it. school. <laughs> People wanted to go there. and uh, You know, a really interesting field school. Uh, 
I actually prefer that one, partly because I think the connections are great. Uh, the Europe field schools are a little bit more exotic, I think. But uh, I think that this one makes a little bit more sense going down the coast because we actually can kind of imagine sustainability efforts in our own kind of larger region. And there's also a bit of, a, I suppose, a bit of an irony or a hypocrisy studying sustainable communities while we fly across the world. Uh, we try to address that. We try to find creative ways of offsetting our, you know, our ecological impacts, yeah. our social impacts as well. What are some of those ways that you do it? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we do is actually all the field school students are tasked with uh, what we call a legacy project. So the, the students are creatively thinking about, hey, how do we offset our impacts on that? When we come back to uh, Victoria or wherever the students are from, this might be in Vancouver or some other community as well, the students are actually tasked with doing some kind of a community effort uh, that makes a, a, a tangible difference there. Uh, in the past, this worked fairly well with some of the students that were really enthusiastic and they came back and they probably would have done this anyway. They, you know, they just have this, uh, this passion, this knowledge, this enthusiasm that they wanted to uh, uh, direct into some kind of a project. But other students maybe less so and there wasn't much of a mechanism for ensuring that these projects were done. Uh, I had to give them marks at the end of the field school and then, you know, kind of as a a gentleman's or gentlewoman's agreement, make sure, you know, encourage the students. I guess I could could tell them that if they don't do the project, I'd change their mark eventually, <laughs> but I never actually did that. But this year, for the first time, we've actually added a course component, and we call the course Connecting Communities, and it'll actually be run in the fall when the students come back. And it's a full course credit for an engaging project that they do uh, working in the community. Oh, I see. So it's almost like as a follow-up mm -hmm. to the field school. That's right. It's a separate course in the fall. That's right. Cool. So just to give you one example, on our last year at field school, we visited the Prinzessin Garden in Berlin. And it's a really exciting example of an inner-city uh, food, food education site uh, with interesting placemaking and community gathering qualities. Uh, at the same time, when we return back to the region, there is the discussion of transforming the Sandown racetrack out in, the, in, in Saanich. And one of the things my students were able to do were to be able to create these little photo, kind of very short photo essays of the Princessin Garden and some other projects that we'd seen in Europe that were in some ways kind of inspiration for what Sandown might look like. They also wanted to transform this whole, you know, this, this racetrack into some kind of a food education center, uh, you know, ecological education site, um, with, with potentially with incubator farms and things like that. And there were some things going on in Europe that were maybe similar, we could maybe learn from, and could be injected into the public process as conversation starters. So the students were able to kind of create the, these little uh, you know these these glossy kind of handouts that were that would be distributed at tables to get conversations going. That, that's that's one example um, of, of you know a project that students might might do when they come back from the field school to make a difference in their community. Yeah. And with experiential teaching, I know that you actually literally wrote the book or are writing the book <laughs> a chapter on, yeah on, a chapter in a book on experiential on experiential teaching, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, essentially getting out of the classroom and mm -hmm. into the field. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the benefits of that are for students to get out of the classroom and 
you know, into the real life? Yeah, I think there's some real benefits. I would start by, I want to, I've been trying to avoid like a really sharp binary because I've, I've actually been trying to think of how do we, how do we bring some of these opportunities into the classroom? Because most students are not going to be able to go on a field school. I never did when I was an undergrad, as I mentioned before. Yep. So I'd like to see ways of us being able to transform our actual, like our classrooms to being more experiential and engaging. But, but that said, I do think there is a power to field learning. And there's a number of things I've called kind of the power of um, the power of connection, for one. I think that on the field schools, the students are able to make very tangible connections to things that might seem very abstract in the classroom, but they're actually directly experiencing in the field. I talk about the power of place-based learning. Mm -hmm. I think there's something powerful about learning in place. And even a, a student brought this up in an in a interview. I've done some assessment where I followed up with students and kind of asked them about their experience and tried to figure out what was going on. And a lot of students actually would talk about how their retention was better because they would connect something they learned with an actual place, which is different than being in the classroom all the time. You're not you're in one place and you're learning all this stuff, but you might not actually retain it. Whereas students were able to think about, you know, some concept and then ground it in a particular mm -hmm. place that they had been. Of course, they're also learning about the complexity of the so-called real world in these actual places and the constellation of factors that yeah. produce them. I talk about the power of emotional learning. I think field schools are very emotional experiences. They're trying, but they're also really fun and exciting. And there's something, yeah, I think there's something powerful about about that. Uh, I talk about the power of story and example. One of the things I really, uh, and very hard to assess, but one of the things that I would center as a, an important learning outcome of the field school is students come back with an arsenal of like stories and, and, mm. and case studies and examples that they can use in, in their other classes, but also just that are there to kind of inspire their own lives and things like that, that they can draw on. So that kind of power of story and example. Um, one of the most important elements of field learning, I think, is what I call the power of immersion and continuity, immersing in that experience. So I've heard students say that in their classroom experience, they kind of go and they learn something for an hour, and then it's done, and they almost have to kind of evacuate that out of their head, and then they're into the next class, which had nothing to do with the last one, yeah. and they learn another thing for an hour. Whereas in the field school, for better or worse, it's kind of 24-7. I think for better, some students yeah. would say like, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about this stuff. It is driving me crazy. All I look at is like urban, you know, trying to understand urban dynamics and stuff. But I think there's something really powerful about that immersive experience. And then being part of a supportive learning community, a cohort. Now, you could reproduce that in the classroom, but we don't often do that. This, lots of students have told me that they've actually learned more from each other than they did from, say, myself or from a teacher. And they, they kind of learn together. And then we actually keep that learning community alive after the field school. We have a, a, a very active Facebook group for each field school we've been on. And you can see what the students have done. And they'll be posting job opportunities or, you know, events coming up or things that they're doing in their community. And we kind of keep that going. And that's kind of an exciting element. And actually, for me, a very useful way of seeing that the field school is having an impact that that, that you know that they're that, that through this facebook group we're building this learning community and finally i think spontaneity there's stuff that can happen in the field that you know 
is hard to recreate in the yeah. classroom, things that you didn't expect, that you couldn't predict, that actually are really powerful learning moments. Yeah. Do you have, do you have an example of anything like spontaneous that happened? In, yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Positive or negative? Well, both almost. I, I can think of a couple. One, we were in Portland and we were on a tour of uh, Northeast Portland, Northeast Williams, I believe is the street. And it was a bike oriented development. So you're familiar, obviously, with yep. transit oriented development, Todd. Well, this was Bob. This yep. was like bicycle oriented development. And they had these amazing like bike, bicycle businesses. There was a bike bar, not a biker bar, but a cycling yep. bar. And then there was this apartment complex that was all like full of all these interesting eco-technical features, solar power and, you know, um, all interesting green building design and materials and everything. And we were uh, doing a tour of this project and the students were, you know, blown away that all oh, this is so exciting. But this, this woman, this African-American woman uh, had joined our group and was kind of, you know, interested and running along. And then at the end when we were kind of uh, at the end of the, the tour and we're talking with this, the developer who had kind of showed off this building, uh, she raised the concerns that this project had actually been part of a larger uh, process of displacement and marginalization, gentrification, whatever, in the area that it had, had had once been the kind of core of the African-American community of wow. Of, of Northeast Portland, and although there were these amazing ecological features, it had, you know, it had been fairly, it had been part of a pretty socially destructive process. And part of, you know, perhaps the irony of this was that that the community that had been there before would have been recognized, well, may not have been recognized, but certainly seems to be indicative of, of what we would want in a sustainable community. People living close to where they worked, mm -hmm. most of the people rode their bikes to work and things like that, li lived and worked and played in their own community, but it wasn't maybe recognizable to the dominant kind of white culture of Portland that this was a green neighborhood or an eco neighborhood. The students, you know, continued to talk about that for the rest of the trip and in the follow-up, that this had really... Uh, invited them to think a lot more critically about the term sustainability and who is sustainability for and who is it beneficial to and what are some of the, you know, the hidden costs of what we think are sustainable community development projects. And so to get back to this question of kind of spontaneity, that's something, you know, I could probably lecture about that in the classroom and I do. I try to raise, you know, these really critical questions about sustainability. We don't take this as a term that we just celebrate automatically. Yeah. We look at it and say, okay, well, you know, how, what's the, the politics of this, this, this term? And I would talk about that in the classroom, but I don't think it would have the impact that this kind of spontaneous event of this, this kind of this, this debate that happened. It happened in a course that's um, an example maybe of this trying to bring the field into the classroom, uh, a course a couple of years ago that was a, this Biktoria class yep. where uh, we co-led this course with a number of folks like yourself, uh, city city employees, uh, looking at questions of, of bike lane planning in the city. Uh, it was it kind of felt like a field school. You know, we had lots of different perspectives. We were out in the community looking at different you know different uh, transportation planning uh, instances on the ground. The students. Uh, undertook these projects that were directly of benefit to the city of Victoria in terms of research or outreach for this program. Um, but in one of those, those classes, I'd actually invited a business owner in the Cook Street Village 
uh, that, who was actually, you know, he has a more nuanced position than this, but was kind of positioned as someone who was kind of against bike lanes mm-hmm. in the city. And at the same time, Ray from the Greater Victoria Cycling Coalition had joined us that day. Uh, kind of coincidentally, I'd ask people, you know, you could drop in whenever you want. And he gave this kind of impassioned argument as to why bike lanes would threaten his business. And then Ray, who had thought a lot about this from sort of a bike advocate's perspective, raised a number of critical questions. And they didn't drop the gloves. It was pretty civil. But they had a huge debate about the merit of bike lanes in our city. And it was a wonderful, wonderful learning opportunity for our students to be able, you know, I I want to impress upon the multiple perspectives on uh, thinking about sustainable community development, but I, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that on my own in a normal classroom situation. Mm -hmm. But this kind of fluid classroom where we had people coming and joining us and different perspectives, uh, you know, again, was kind of a spontaneous and unplanned but brilliant learning moment. Yeah, was the did the students get engaged with the debate itself, or did you just sort of let the the two duke it out? Duke it out. <laughs> it was both. We let them get, kind of let them argue back and forth, which yeah. I think was really valuable. Con- but then, con- no, the con- students construct- constructive argument. Right? Definitely, yeah. the <laughs> students jumped in, and you know, for the most part, students were more sympathetic to the the pro bike. Yeah. Uh, the perspective, course, but the course, I the course think was named Bike Toria. It was called Bike Toria. So. I guess there was some inherent trajectory there or, or bias there. But but I think you know I, I you know and I had to email Bart after that and I apologize. I didn't actually know Ray was going to be there, and I wanted to make sure that Bart realized that you know his perspective was really well received in our class. It was you no, know, not everyone agreed with it, but they certainly. I think it was super valuable for my students to see that and. And so the sort of the spontaneity and the multi-perspectivism, I think, are things that definitely can come into the classroom, but I think they're really, really prevalent in the field school, if you, as long as you set it up that way. Yeah. And, and through that process of meeting new people and spontaneity, is there also an element of self-discovery? So are, are the students finding out who they are through yes. that process? Yeah, I think so. I think like the learning outcomes of the field school are definitely, there's some certain skills that I want them to learn. I, I want them to be able to, uh, I would say at the end of the field school, I want them to be able to ask better questions. They might not come away knowing like what sustainability is now, you know, self-evident forever, this is, this is what it means. Um, but that they come away being able to ask more capacious, more, uh, you know, contextual questions that they can make better interconnections, that they actually change, you know, their behaviors. But I think also that they've come to just know themselves a lot better and actually see their connection. I, I hope at the end that something like sustainable community development, but, you know, that, all kinds of other concepts that you might teach in a field school are no longer like subjects that you study at arm's length, but they're actually part of your life like this is your future and I want the students to you know come come to see where they fit in their community and in their city and in this struggle to try to bring about uh, a better world and better communities yeah and I guess there's also self-reflection sort of comes mm-hmm. in as well with that self-discovery the reflection is the central key of the of the field school the way they're actually kind of evaluated they keep a reflective journal mm-hmm. uh, rather than lectures well, I don't lecture really after the first week. I lecture a little bit just to set us up. But in the field, we have these reflective uh, sharing circles, we call them. And we get together and we just kind of, you know, each four or five days, we kind of reflect back on what we've learned over that time period. And, and that's the point where the students actually learn as much or more from each other as they do from myself. 
Uh, and so, and then at the end of the field school, I have this reflective assignment. Actually, the very first thing they do is they come in the very first day. We're here for a week in Victoria, and we're kind of getting set up before we go into the field. And I tell them the first thing is, what do you know about sustainable community development? Uh-huh. And what do you expect to learn in the field? And they write, you know, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, they write on that. And, and then I kind of covertly bring those in my backpack and the very last thing they do, the last, the last thing they do, in this case will be in Copenhagen, the last day of the field school, I bring these out and I ask the students to look at them and reflect. Now, that's kind of like their final exam, I guess, is this final reflective assignment, uh, looking back on what did I think sustainable community of development mean and what did I expect to learn and how does that match up with what I think about this now. Yeah. And it's really cool. It actually serves a couple purposes. One, I, you know, I mark it and it's part of their grade for the course, but I actually can use that as fantastic qualitative data for my own assessment of the overall field school. Mm-hmm. And you know, what, are, what are the students learning and, and, and you know, what are they not learning and things like that. And how, how do you grade the students? It's a, I, I tell the students right off the bat that the, the marks are going to be decent. I don't want them stressing out, right? I want this to be a really you know, a wonderful experience. I believe that even if they're not putting 100% effort and they're kind of learning by osmosis. On the other hand, I don't, I tell them that it's, it's just as hard as any class to get a really good mark, but I don't want marks to be floating over the, the field school that right. much. But basically, they're, they're graded on this reflective, uh, this reflective assignment they do at the end. They're graded on their journal that they keep throughout the field school. They do, we get them to do a presentation in each city. I, I have a group, um, a small group will kind of take on a city. They'll, they'll take on Paris, for example. And they'll be the ones that, that navigate when we're in Paris, which is actually a valuable skill for them to learn, how to, how to navigate a transit system, for yeah. example, right? Yeah. Uh, it'd be sur- I was surprised that students had no clue how to, you know, get on a metro or get on a bus and get somewhere, right? So this is something I've kind of challenged them to do. The Paris group will get us from the train station to our hostel, for example. And then they'll, we have, you know, a number of projects that we're going to visit while we're there. They're the ones that navigate us there. That first day when we get to our hostel, we kind of check in, put our bags away, and then that's, that group will give us a little orientation to Paris. A, a, a fun one. I don't want all the boring, dry, historic dates or something, but a little historic background, a little you know, geographic context, do cultural do's and don'ts, uh, where the laundry is, where the cheap food is, you know, things like that. And then they also keep a video blog. So then we start going out and we see these projects. And that group, the Paris group, I mean, all the students are kind of keeping their field notes. But the Paris group in particular are shooting video and they're creating like little snapshots, uh, digital stories of the things that we're learning. Um, and then, and then they're done. The Paris group did their, their part. And then we move on to the next city and another group will take over. So that's another part of the assessment. And then the, a, a participation mark. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, a legacy project. And that's yes. when they come back to Victoria. What did you learn in the field and how can that be put towards helping a, you know, a government actor or a non-government actor in, in, in Victoria yeah. you know, achieve sustainability goals? And how do you guys, so with the, with the European tour that you guys are doing this uh, in the next, when are you guys leaving? In two weeks? Yeah, or a couple weeks here, yeah, yeah. So with that, do you mostly travel via trains and mm-hmm. bicycles? And 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we really try to, you know, as much as possible, we're flying over there. <laughs> and as I say, that's something that we need to figure out how to creatively offset. But otherwise, we try to walk the, you know, walk the talk. Yeah. It's not just studying sustainability. We're trying to think of our eating habits, our, tra- our transportation habits, um, are all, you know, tr- being mindful of what it means to, uh, you know, take account of social and ecological concerns, right? Yeah. So we basically do, we travel by, by train. Um, we get out on bikes. I've contemplated the idea of doing a cycling field school. I think the logistics would be a nightmare. You know, it'd be obviously a much shorter tour. Yeah. Uh, I thought about a, uh, you know, a, a cycling field school around the Netherlands, for example. And, you know, that may still happen down the road. But yeah, mainly by, by train and by bike. Um, uh, one, one of the interesting things on this field school is the, tra- the train from Hamburg to Copenhagen, the train actually goes onto a ferry. Oh, and then right the ferry on. goes across to the island that Copenhagen's on, and then the train continues on. So that'll be something that the students always, you know, get a kick out of. Yeah. Uh, we stay in hostels or, you know, kind of low, um, clean but budget accommodations. And, the, and, and then in the field, you know, most of the time, say if we spent a week in a place, uh, the, at least five of the days we've got a fairly rigorous program, but then we'll always have a couple days where the... Students can can go off on their own. You know, it's kind of a one of the many balances that we try to find on the field school is that balance between structure and, um, and and guidance, but also then you know like some free time for the students to experience things on their own and and to kind of take ownership of their own learning. So I like that that balance between student empowerment and and, and yet some kind of structure and guidance. Also, they they're given uh, quite a bit of freedom. Uh, to kind of explore things that they might be interested in on on the field school. So their their reflective journal is basically uh, based on making connections between between what they see in the field and some readings that we have them do ahead of time. So, you know, there's some kind of structure there. We also have, we have a kind of an analytical framework that is very simple. Um, Basically, everyone that we meet in, there's these kind of four things that are always touched on. One is basically the diagnosis of the problem, right? What is the problem? Capitalism or overpopulation or whatever, you know, consumerism or something. Everyone had like, what, what is the present problem, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the, secondly, what is the horizon? What's the goal towards which we aspire? Resilience or social justice or whatever. And then there's, what are the pathways that are leading towards that? You know, is that policy or, you know, lifestyle change or communicate, you know, modes of communicating? How, how do we sell the message? Or, and then the barriers in the way. And so that is, the students are, that's kind of the structure that the students have. And each person, I, I ask them in their field notebook, each person we meet, try to think of that. Like what are, what did that person think was the problem? What do they think the, the goal or the horizon toward which they, they think society should go? Is What are the barriers? What are the pathways? Mm-hmm. But outside of that, there's a lot of kind of freedom for them to ask specific questions kind of within that framework a little bit. Like some might be more, you know, some students are very interested in the, the use of language, for example. So how do we communicate in a way to get people interested in sustainability? And that might be their thing throughout the whole field school. They listen carefully. What is the language being used? What are the techniques of persuasion or something, right? Someone else might, you know, might have a, a, another focus, right? They're, they're more interested in um, 
you, you know, a, a specific field. Like they're interested in transportation. So every city that they're in, it's they're interested in active transportation. How does the transit system work? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how is it used? What are the, how have they been able to build such an impressive transportation infrastructure where someone else's transportation might not be their thing. It might be food or it might be housing or something. And so they're given that kind of freedom, but there's just this sort of analytical framework and this always connecting back to our readings and connecting to this framework and making connections between the different places and experiences that gives them some kind of basis. Otherwise, I've found that too much, you know, that's why it's a balance, right? Because I found that too much freedom or just go out, hey, just go out there and, yeah, we'll and learn you. whatever. See, see that's a actually months. a problem too, right? So it's kind of some kind of a, a balance. I'm not sure we always get it right. There's one other balance that I wanted to, to, to bring up because I think it's really interesting. The tone of the field school, we call it criti critically optimistic. Okay, and um, by that, this, there's this tension between sort of critical thinking and interrogating things, but also being hopeful and optimistic. Because and they're not always, you know, you know, they actually are kind of in tension a bit. Like a lot of programs at university are very good at teaching students to critically think, but they don't give them much of an outlet for action or or hope. Right? And so they just become kind of uh, indignant spectators to the plundering of the world or something. On the other yeah. hand, there might be programs that are very applied, and, but they don't have much of a sense of you know, kind of the political dynamics that underscore you know, urbanism and mm -hmm. things like that. So there's kind of this blend, and I'm really inspired by this quote by Paul Hawken. He says that when he was asked if he's pessimistic or optimistic about the future, he says that if you look at the science and aren't pessimistic, you don't understand the data. But if you look at the people who are working to restore the earth and the lives of the poor and you aren't optimistic, you don't have a pulse. Hmm. And he goes on to say that uh, what I see everywhere in the world are ordinary people uh, that are willing to confront despair, power, and incalculable odds in order to restore some semblance of grace, justice, and beauty in the world. Wow. And I, I love that quote because that's what I'm... That's, what, That's what I think this field school is, yeah. is the students have gone through, you know, a lot of them have come out of environmental studies or geography or poli-sci, and they've got a pretty bleak sense of the world, right? Um, and and, I, and I'm by no means saying, like, we need to want to be naively optimistic and say, oh, everything is going to work out okay. But I'd love to give them a little bit of a sense of optimism in seeing some of the really cool projects that are happening in the world and, uh, and to kind of balance that, that critical interrogation and being mindful of, uh, we talked before about things like racism and yeah. in, in urban development and, and gender and, and colonialism and, and classism and the, the damage of our capitalist system and all that. And definitely be mindful of that, but also not become like just cynical and pessimistic and try to see some of the things that are happening in the world. So they get inspired to come back and, and do these kinds of things themselves. So that's cool. So that's kind of another tension I think is really important. And critical optimism. Critical optimism, that's, that's, exactly. That's a pretty cool yeah. mantra. So uh, just a couple questions in wrapping up is that mm -hmm. you, you mentioned very early on that you're teaching your students how to ask great questions. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what's like what's the advice that you give? Because I've always thought that's a, I've, I've heard that advice before and I, I totally agree <laughs> with it, that the world needs to ask 
better question. So how do you teach students to do that? It's a, it's a tricky one. Uh, we start by, we get the students into groups right off the bat. I don't come in and say, this is what sustainability is. We'd be completely against what I've been talking about. We're, we're trying to learn how sustainable community development has been understood and fought over and struggled and resisted and implemented in the field, right? So the first thing, one of the first things we actually do is we get the students into small groups and I think one of the things I wanted to emphasize that critical thinking is not, as we just said, not cynical thinking. It's not being against stuff. It's asking good questions about things. So I actually put out just the, the most basic question, the who, the what, the where, the why, the when of sustainability. And they get into groups. So one group's the, the when group, all right? So let's think about... Temporally, what kinds of questions would you ask about sustainability? Or the why group will think about, okay, you know, like why do, you know, why is sustainability, why has it become so popular? Why is it the term that we're using? You might step back and go, well, why do we need to think about sustainable community development? Right? There'd be a hundred questions you could ask, why questions, how questions, the process questions. And then the students go out into the field and part of their field journals, as we said, they have this analytical framework, which basically are a set of questions like, what is the, the problem according to the, the people we see? What is the, the horizon towards which they're aspiring? What are the pathways there and what are the barriers in the way? And then they can ask you know, some particular sub-questions. The, the more critically minded students are always interested in the who questions, right? Who benefits and who pays the cost for certain development decisions and you know things like that. Um, at the end of the field school then when they go back and you know I look over their field notebook and also this final reflective assignment I'm asking them actually specifically think about how your questions have evolved. Huh. And I'll give you just an example I can remember one off the top of my head a student went into the field school and on their initial their initial uh, assignment were asked, oh, what is sustainable community development about? And I should add that I kind of get them thinking, what are some questions that you'll ask, right? And the question was kind of like, what's, what technology is going to save the world? And by the end of the field school, he was able to kind of contextualize that a little bit more and say, well, you know, now I'm kind of questioning technology. And is, you know, how much are we putting too much emphasis on technological um, solutions and what role does technology will, will it play in a sustainable future or something those are better questions than my initial one which you know what technology is going to save the world so to me that was an example of a student um, that's now like I point to that and say okay that student has learned something right um, it's tricky because it's not like I can ask them for kind of pre and post testing of definitional clarity. Yeah. Oh, they didn't have a clue what sustainability was, and now they know. Because I don't know. No one knows, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an open-ended field, and it's a, but if they're able to ask better questions, more, as I say, more qualified, more kind of capacious questions, then I think that that's, that's a really important um, indicator of learning. No kidding. Yeah, like I... Even with my own kids, they love asking questions, right? But somewhere along the way, I think people stop asking mm, questions totally. because there's the fear of looking stupid. That I is, think that's what it comes down to. That's exactly. So I think it's I think it's awesome that you're doing that as part of your field school. It's almost like reinitiating that through the child's mind again, right? 
and don't be afraid to ask questions because the more questions you ask, naturally, the better questions they get. It's just like any other thing. You practice totally. makes, That's practice exactly it. In fact, the, the, we use a quote from the educational theorist Bell Hooks that says exactly that. Kids come into the world. I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember the quote exactly. Kids come into the world with, with this curiosity, asking the who, what, where, when, why, how questions. And then somehow in our education, those are kind of stamped out of us. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Fear of looking stupid we don't ask those questions anymore. And that's what we try to invite in the field school, is let's ask about the who, what, where, when, why of sustainable community development. Or at least we're asking the questions via our smartphones now, right? Yeah, we just, right. <laughs> we just Google things now. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, that's another interesting topic, actually. Uh, what's the role of technology in, in field programs? Oh, and, no kidding. It must have changed know. so much in the last decade. Totally, yeah. you know. That would be a fun challenge with your students nowadays. It's like, okay, now you have to, you have to travel through Paris, but nobody can use a smartphone. You right. have to use a, a physical map. Right. And you have to talk to people. You have right. to ask for directions. Well, there are few field schools like that. I have a colleague at Mount Royal University in Calgary that does a field school to Peru, and he actually takes phones away at the beginning. They go for a hike, and then they go for a canoe trip, and the whole time there's no social media, because he wants them to encounter that place and the people of it. He says that they get this culture shock, but more from not having their phones than they do from being in Peru. Yeah. <laughs> Peru wasn't that weird, but not having my phone, not being able to check my Facebook, that was weird. That was the pure shock, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Cam, uh, thanks so much. I, you know, one last question that I have is, mm -hmm. like, if you could go anywhere in the world for field school, what's the, what's the top, top of the list? God, I don't know. I just was in Sri Lanka. Yeah. And my, my colleague, Aaron, who I actually did field schools with in Calgary, uh, he is setting up a field school there. And he had this, I had this wonderful opportunity where I could join him on a reconnaissance mission. He had a driver that was going to take him to all these physical geographic sites and had hotels booked. And he said, basically, I could come along for free. My, my, I'd have to pay for my airfare and my food, but otherwise, I never thought I'd ever go to Sri Lanka. Yeah. But it was this, uh, and I went there just kind of as a tourist, and he was looking to set up a field school, but it was an amazing opportunity. We met with some really interesting people that uh, he wants to go there because of the recovery efforts after the tsunami of 2004. Yeah. And so we met with really cool people that are doing these really innovative sort of social entrepreneurial uh, projects there and it got me thinking it's you know completely different from the kinds of field schools I do to the global north looking at these sort of best practices of urban development but that could maybe be an interesting field school going to places uh, in the global south and looking at efforts yeah. towards sustainable community development where there's not the same level of resourcing but I think there's some really really cool innovative things going on well Cam thank you so much and uh, cool. uh, best of luck in all you do and uh Right. Look forward to uh, to hearing more about the experiences and and reading the chapter in your book. What's the book called? Uh, the book is called Out There Learning. Out There Learning. And it's kind of U of T Press. It'll be out in probably about a year because it's still being reviewed and that. But we couldn't agree on a, what to call these things uh, because in the States, you actually use different terminologies. You usually study abroad. Uh, there, there's travel study programs. There's field schools. There's all these different names. And so we kind of finally... Uh, agreed to this this name of out there learning and it's kind of got both the implications of it being outside the classroom but also a little bit 
you know, kind of wacky and yeah. bizarre. It's kind of out there. And so yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that's the book. So I assume you're going on like a hundred day or a hundred city tour to sign the book. <laughs> it's going to be a pretty limited, <laughs> a limited audience. I don't think it's going to be a bestseller <laughs> basically for other people that are running field schools, but we'll see. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Cam, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to spread the word or perhaps even write a review on iTunes. And be sure to find out more at monorailcity.com. And in closing, remember to be kind to your neighbors, support your local libraries, and go back to university and sign up for one of those awesome travel abroad programs. So we'll see you next time. Monorail City, 